Welcome. Stephen Gray here again. Uh, this is our my series of interviews that I've been doing uh, for the YouTube channel Stephen Gray Vision and the accompanying uh, audio podcast Anchor.fm. The mission of these is to share information and inspiration uh, that will hopefully help humanity come to terms with who we are, what we're going through now, and where we are going. Uh, because of my background and my interests and my connection to things like the Spirit Plant Medicine Conference, there is a particular focus on psychedelics, otherwise known as entheogens, but not solely those. And as you can see, if you're watching this, um, the video version of this on YouTube, uh, my guest is with me already, and I will now introduce him by reading his bio, and then I will welcome him in. Uh, so uh, this is Dr. Bruce Damer, and he's an astrobiologist, excuse me, I'm just going to move that right in the middle, <laughs> is an astrobiologist collaborating with Professor David Deemer, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, in the Department of Biomolecular Engineering at the University of California, Santa Cruz, on the question of the origin of life. He has contributed 20 years of mission simulation and design for NASA and other space agencies on the related question of how life might begin on other worlds and how to extend life and human civilization into our solar system. His training is in computer science and he has built an extensive archive of computing artifacts and history chronicling the rise of the digital world in the last 60 years. He is also a follower of the evolutionary edge of culture as a wanderer on the plant medicine path and curates archives of figures such as Timothy Leary and Terence McKenna, who I will add Bruce knew. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. More can be found on uh, Bruce Damer's work and life in his Levity Zone podcast, Levity Salons on Patreon, and scientific writings, all available at his website, damer.com. That is spelled D-A-M-E-R.com. And I will add a, a, a slight bit of colloquial information to that bio by saying that I know Bruce personally. He has spoken at our uh, Spirit Plant Medicine Conference twice in the past. And uh, although his bio doesn't say it, because of course you wouldn't say that about yourself, but um, Bruce is truly brilliant. Um, uh, some people might rightfully call him a genius. Um, I hope I'm not embarrassing you by saying so, Bruce. And uh, uh, I would definitely call Bruce Damer a visionary, um, one of the more sensitive people to energies that other people are not necessarily, are not particularly aware of or tuned in oftentimes. Um, as Bruce quite openly speaks about himself uh, in some of his stories about his early upbringing and so on that led him certain directions. So welcome, Bruce. Thank you, Stephen. It's an yeah. honor to be here. Yeah, well, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for your work, and we've had a number of conversations. I, I've occasionally said, wait a minute, wait a minute, Bruce, i got to pull out my iPhone here and put voice record on. <laughs> I don't want to, I want to be able to remember what you're saying here. So um, I have a number of questions for you, of course, but uh, as, as I mentioned, in the uh, um, in our discussion prior to hitting the record button for this, um, w uh, it, the main mission, and also I, I guess I said it to the public as well here, uh, is to uh, take a look at the state and fate of humanity, but also offer 
I would say, you know, uh, a, a hopeful and positive kind of a vision. And uh, I watched, a, uh, or li I've both watched and listened to a webinar uh, that you did about a month ago and uh, was, um, among other things, impressed, deeply impressed by your positive vision. So maybe one question that might actually allow me to sit back and just listen for a while would be, what's going on with this pandemic? Well, you know, uh, humanity is evolved by pandemics. We, our species was toughened, winnowed down, redistributed, uh, evolved by pandemics. Uh, people just have, uh, in a sense, we all have a short memory because we've had the miracle of antibiotics and vaccines and things like that. But as recently as the 1930s and into the 1940s, uh, Washington, D.C. was an unsafe place to be in the summertime. Hmm. And if people re recall uh, President Adams decanting from the Capitol because of the yellow fever. So the founding fathers of the U.S. had to leave because yellow fever was coming up from the south and it would take thousands of people and it was a dangerous place to be. So only the poor people who had to stay uh, stayed in these areas where these pandemics were moving through. You had malaria, scarlet fever. Uh, you, you had, of course, in the 1918-19 period, you had a much more virulent and dangerous uh, viral uh, pandemic, uh, which by all accounts, uh, laid low or um, killed between a hundred million and several hundred million individuals while traveling by steamship. And the P Spanish flu of the, that time of a century ago uh, targeted uh, healthy adults between ages 20 and 40. So the 1920s opened with all these uh, orphans. And in those years, they didn't know what a virus was, you know, the human genome, the idea of DNA had never had, hadn't been decoded. I mean, so an RNA virus was something far beyond the ability of science at the time to even decode what was going on. So there was it was a lot of guesswork. But we've grown up with viral pandemics, and in fact, viruses possibly emerged as life emerged on the Earth. Uh, four, four billion years ago, there was some sort of protovirus in those early microbial colonies that forced evolution. Because some viruses are beneficial to the colony uh, in that they can carry information around. Some are challenging and stressing to uh, even single-celled organisms. And I believe what's happening now is exactly what happens in a deer population. Uh, when you get rid of the wolves. So where I grew up in central British Columbia in the Kamloops area, I remember just north of us in the 70s where the wolf population had uh, had died from disease actually and uh, lumber companies had cut the forest so they created all this new foraging area for deer. There was an explosion of the deer population and then a virus came in and the virus cut the deer population back. Uh, BC Forestry realized they had to do something, so they introduced the wolves back 
because the deer population was never going to be healthy without a governing mechanism. So the natural governing uh, of that population was a viral, viral pandemic in the deer population. And that's what's happening now for us. You know, we are out of equilibrium, just as when systems get out of equilibrium in, in nature, it opens opportunities. So if you look at the, the profile of coronavirus, the new coronavirus, it seems to, it of course is attacking uh, people with uh, compromised immune systems. The healthy adults it's attacking uh, are often in highly polluted areas. So oh. in the outbreak zones of China, in Northern Italy, areas with challenged air quality, which take healthy people to the edge of uh, exposing um, a weakness in their system because the coronavirus seems to exhibit as a high altitude disease, as uh, people turn blue, literally. So what it's doing is nature will always find a way to get into a reservoir of vulnerable population which is, may have autoimmune issues or there may be a large number of older people who are barely at the edge of surviving anyway and cut uh, basically do a culling through the population and that is how healthy populations are maintained they re they rely upon a healthy population of deer in British Columbia it doesn't call in the virus but the virus makes it healthy so that the deer can go forward um, uh, into the future not as sick herds but as a healthy smaller smaller population so animal populations and plant populations alike have relied upon the, the appearance of a pathogen to take them back toward equilibrium. And we have been so skilled as a species of blocking the natural course of things that our population has you know, gone way out of proportion to the carrying capacity. And we've also polluted our environments. We've put people under stress. We've introduced foodstuffs and lifestyles that have caused their immune systems to be challenged. And so of course, uh, if you're trying to hold back a rising uh, tide or a rising river and you're stacking bags of cement on the top to keep that dike away from you, you reach a point where the pressure, the water pressure on that, those sacks of, of sand or cement are, is so high that inevitably it, it breaks through. Because you can only hold back the tide of the regulatory function of the biosphere for so long and then you get this pressure and it's going to push through and so you know for example uh, natural selection good old-fashioned Darwinian natural selection is now at work on the human population in a very gentle way so the initial contagion or the, the virus is not that uh, it's not as serious as the Spanish flu so it's not going to chop uh, a huge section of the population it's not going to kill a billion healthy adults on this round, which if Spanish flu was here today traveling by air, it would. It would have taken a billion healthy adults. So we've been given kind of a shot across the bow, a warning that this is coming, this regulatory uh, function is now uh, at work in the biosphere. And it's an interesting thing to watch, to, to, to see this. Now, of course, the way that's sort of a cold or d d dissociated 
analytical approach to this. Uh, but what it is, is it's natural selection at work. So for example, the countries like Brazil or the United States, which have kind of uh, mad madmen as leaders, uh, people that have no common sense, uh, people on, in a sense, operating from uh, not the, the best interests of the people, uh, operating through self-interest, operating through just reaction. People that should not be in leadership positions at all, should, should not be. They are going to select the populations out. So the people who supported them, unfortunately, and the people who did not support them, are going to take the brunt of some of, uh, some of the fatalities. So these, these countries which are, oper which are led by effectively incompetent people are going to get selected out. Uh, pandemic after pandemic, a country like New Zealand, which was led by sane people, uh, just to mm -hmm. yesterday uh, relaxed all their controls internally because they can, because there's virtually no cases. They have biosecurity, they have, they're on their own island, which, which helps, but they have a population that is sort of safe and sane. They're, they're, you know, we were just there uh, in February, just before the, uh, the pandemic, doing our field work in the Rotorua in the Hot Springs, Origin of Life field work. And you feel very safe. You feel where the country has taken care of its people. Uh, it's, it's a conscious country. And so it will emerge as a model that succeeds in the world economy or the world's culture or whatever. And other nations say, unfortunately, like Brazil or the United States are going to go down a notch. And the United States is going to undergo a, a, an additional transformation, which uh, we've been talking about here in Silicon Valley, which is uh, as the United States central government falls apart, which is it's doing, it's becoming less, it's not be an effective tool, states and bioregions take over. Uh, and so Northern California or the Bay Area or the West Coast becomes almost like an autonomous enclave over time where they block crazy federal intrusions and rules. And this has been happening for about 25 years now with California. As Governor Jerry Brown, our former governor, said, we've been withdrawing from the federal system for a quarter century. When they put restrictions on stem cell research, we authorized it. When they fought us on medical marijuana, we passed it. Mm -hmm. Again and again and again, California has acted in the interests that, that made sense to it and for its citizens and basically telling the federal government to stay out. So it's been, in some sense, withdrawing from the union or from the requirements of a federal government that less, less functional and becoming more of an autonomous region. And that's going to be accelerated by this. So you'll see, you know, if Florida has half a million fatalities for coronavirus and a broken health care system, Florida goes out of the league. It goes, what businesses are going to locate in Florida? You know, what... Who's going to want to go on vacation in Florida? It's going to take itself out of, through natural selection, it's taking itself out of uh, participation. Other regions will rise and become stronger. Mm -hmm. And similarly with populations, you know, we have, you know, a, a good percentage of young people uh, in their teenage years that now have autoimmune disorders, probably from glyphosate in the environment and other chemicals that young people weren't sick 
when they were 15 in our era. They, they weren't sick at this level. Well, these, these viral pandemics are going to take them out of the gene pool, and they're going to take their parents out of the gene pool. So gradually you get this combing process where, just like the deer, you remove the, the sick ones, you remove the older ones, you remove the ones that have made poor life choices, and you leave the healthy populations in pockets, and then those po pockets expand outward. And so can I interrupt for a sec? Um, uh, that, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, um, that's, I don't know, I'm not quite sure the right descriptor for it, but that's a kind of a, um, a more on the somewhat materialistic, mechanistic kind of level of sort of natural forces, you know, doing their thing, as it were. Um, uh, but you've also taken this, um, you know, the implications of this pandemic to a much uh, more esoteric kind of deeper level about the possibility of, um, you know, a more radical, um, a more dramatic uh, uh, consciousness transformation, you might say, uh, you know, and then and tied it into that. Can you elaborate on that? Let me let me just actually um, read you um, or read people uh, the subtitle on your website, it says, quote, as we remake ourselves, the world will follow us into the great project of being. So I'm hoping to lead you more into that direction now, if I may. Can you elaborate on what that, what that all means? Yeah, I suppose the, the, our previous conversation was a bit depressing that it's so, it was... <laughs> uh, so materialistic. I mean, it's so uh, reductionistic or, uh, based on a more pragmatic approach. Mm -hmm. But I think that uh, all of this, in some ways, if you look at the patterns of things, if you look at the 21st century, and you look at the struggle that people have had for their own health and healing, for uh, uh, awakening, coming into a, a broader awareness of the miracle of the world that we're all in, there's one been one major obstruction to this awakening and that is simply a busyness it's simply that there's no quiet time there's no calm there's no ability to slow down 2019 was not only the best year materially for humans on the earth if you look at all the measures of health literacy uh, access to information travel it was like the best year we've ever had in terms of what the enlightenment provided for from the amazon to the the tip of kamchatka it was the the best year for humans but also it was the most frenetic year in history that more people traveling more people uh doing more interaction on devices faster and faster and faster uh more uh, consumption of of material goods all this sort of stuff and I felt myself reaching a point in February where, you know, as much as I would have liked to go on a two-week meditation retreat or a, a, a plant medicine path, fitting it in was getting difficult. And so my own ability to slow my system down and come into a, a greater sort of spacious awareness and work on healing the parts that I need to heal was, was really hampered by this, this crazy schedule. And then suddenly, the gift was given to us of the slowing down, the great slowing down, which is really what this is, because 
it's not a huge health. It's not ripping society apart. It's it's slowing the pace down. So that 50% drop in insect population that was announced last year, along with Greta Thunberg's warnings and along with all those sort of things, got answered in a single stroke. That the answer to, uh, in a sense, the crazy pace of life, the crashing insect populations, climate change, all these things was this pandemic. The, the pandemic that forced people to stay in place, to stop traveling, you know, traveling's down 75 to 95 percent, consumable goods down, everything down, skies clearing, birds building nests on lampposts in New York City, just boom, we were shown how we can take the pressure off of the earth and give ourselves back that precious resource of personal time for contemplation if, if, we, if we should be able to use it. Now, of course, there are people who can't take that time, but this forced deceleration has caused a pattern interrupt, this, the term pattern interrupt in this entire program and has shaken it apart because that original program of 2019 was absolutely unsustainable. It was getting ready to smash people's consciousnesses on brick walls. It was just too much, too fast, too, too much stuff for the human animal. Even though we have a hunger, our minds have a hunger for more, more stimulation, more, you know, we all want to go to festivals and there's more conferences and the conferences are growing larger as yours has been growing larger. This hunger for information, the hunger for interaction. But I think it had gone across a threshold where we were becoming almost robotic in responding to the next project and mission and meeting and such and such. And, and uh, the, the Moody Blues in, uh, in <laughs> Nights in White Satin, in that great poetic uh, tone poem of a, of a song in the 1970s, said, with, with leisure, you must first come to leisure, and with leisure comes love. <laughs> so without leisure, um, you can't find love. You, there's, you're closed off from a whole layer of, of conscious exploration and experience with busy, from busyness. So perhaps mm -hmm. that's the great teaching of this, this pandemic. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, there, one of my favorite uh, little Buddhist, uh, uh, Zen Buddhist, I think, uh, af aphorisms, um, uh, I, I don't remember the last part of it that kind of goes into more detail on the fourth thing, but it says, to study Buddhism is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self, and to forget the self is to enter into the myriad of things. And so I think that really ties into what you're saying. That we're just moving too fast to be able to, you know, um, uh, meet the, you know, the world at multiple levels of what's going on around us. You know, I yeah, I completely agree with that. So, so that's obviously key. Uh, this slowing down thing, obviously key to the remaking of ourselves. That's uh, stated in your subtitle on your website there. Uh, I, I would like uh, if you uh, like to ask you if you could elaborate on w more on what's involved in remaking ourselves. And before I turn that over to you, uh, hoping at some point we could get in a little reference to how the psychedelics uh, have a play, may play a role in that, since the uh, subtitle of my um, YouTube channel is uh, Spirituality, Psychedelics, and the New Human, or the New Humanity. Yeah. Mm. 
I, I believe that there's something going on. You know, Terrence used to say, uh, ask the question, what is going on? You remember how he used to say, what is going on? And the thing that's going on, and this is a bit of a, a diversion, but it'll come back to uh, addressing your very cogent question. There's a new force in the world. There's a new force at play. And it comes down to the sense that if you wish and desire something, if you have a clear vision for it, the little stepping stones are all are presented to you that if you take, you end up in improbable uh, outcomes, like growing spirit plant medicine to 600 people, doing it at UBC, uh, medical and then recreational marijuana comes in, the country opens up, we have maps, we have Maps Canada, we have clinical trials and then we have phase three clinical trials and we have this incredible opening that started with the desire of say Rick Doblin and many of us that these medicines should be available and by golly they are and the, no matter what is happening in the political sphere the crack opened and the possibility became reality and so it's we're just I think discovering that it is our intention our, our clear intention on this is a vision we'd love to see and holding to that and our attention on the little marbles of goodness of possibility that are sent our way from what I'm calling and others are calling the field it's not God it's not a you know it's not you know a mycelial layer or something physical it's it's some kind of interconnected numinous rolling system that, that wraps itself around the hillocks and valleys of probability itself. And it can shape those hillocks and valleys. And our intention goes in there, and just like Einstein's you know, relativity uh, shaping space and time of 100 years ago, it changes the shape not of space and time, but of probability. It's a probability shaping. Our, our human conscious attention can shape probability. I think we're on the verge of of discovering this. Uh, Joe Dispenza does these fantastic experiments where he has people connect their heart here, the heart of, of sort of clarity and presence with the mind's fantastic ability to visualize and have them focus on one thing, groups focus on one thing, and watch how it actualizes with the head and the heart. And there are people, you know, serious kind of researchy people now stepping in saying, maybe it's our intention alone that can shape reality. Mm-hmm. And I, I have a funny term for this. I call it God for geeks. <laughs> so we, we're so used to operating systems and apps and services and making search engine calls and SQL queries and everything. What if, what if this intensely dense numinous network that we're in that we actually can surf when we're in the medicine state of the, the, we're floating on it we're like really present in it what if that is like an OS what if it's an environment that is it serves us with our consciousness as the tool as the app as the button the home button to push and then the apps to talk to that thing and so for the last couple of years I've been doing experiments in this. I've been push, putting things out into the field and, and watching. 
I've been having AB comparisons on this thing and watching it accelerate. So in my own life, the rate at which improbable events are coming back is faster and faster and faster. And I ask the question, is it because I'm more attuned or is it that the field is more attuned? And I believe it's a little of both, but I think that if you densely interconnect anything, a microbial layer with chemical signaling, which is how life possibly started, then you introduce a bird song, for example, densely interconnects the interaction in, in a forest, for example. Humans with symbolic communication, then with smartphones, dense interconnection, dense real-time speed of light flashes from human to human all over the planet. Three, two, three billion people now able to do this. Searching, finding a YouTube video, playing it, sharing it. It's an, it's an amazing thing that that in itself is creating this field stronger and stronger and stronger. And the field itself is waking up. The field itself has more to play with. It's getting more coherent. And like an organism, it's starting to operate uh, as, as a coherent thing, as a thing that is moving towards survival. And I, I had a vision about three months ago uh, where I saw this pseudopod creature made out of shadow. And it was moving. It was like a kind of like when you you see a salamander, but in a salamander in shadow form, moving forward. And the words came to me at the time was, "This is new. This is a new organism that's just learning to push forward towards survival, as all organisms do. But it is an organism made of you. It is made of human beings for the first time." a body like Gaia, but it is a, a thing of humans themselves and their intentions and their explorations and their desires and wishes and their actions and their communication. It's growing up as a meta-organism, you know, a little bit like the old idea of the global brain, but more like a global body. That And when things come into coherency, no matter what they're made out of, whether they're made out of cells or conscious intention, they become like an organism. They're a superorganism. And this superorganism of humans pushing forward, humans being in a panic state, humans desiring, humans innovating, humans being under stress is a single organism on its own. And it crawls forward and it's booting up the field itself. And so it's not just us, it's not just the action of one person. It's a thing that we all comprise, and that thing is four billion years old. It has huge lineage in its genes. It has everything we've got. It has a, a waking realization that we're extremely rare. You know, this kind of a planet, you know, we now know through exoplanet studies and the origin of life that complex life like ours is extraordinarily rare. And we also know we're time limited, that the Earth has maybe a few hundred million years where you can have plants, for example, because we're going to cross the Venus Terminator. We're, we're, we're going into a heat event from the heating of the sun. There's like a pressure. We're going to turn into Venus in a shorter period of time than we knew. So what do you mean turn, in, turn closer toward it or heat up? We're going to heat up. So oh. uh, James Lovelock, uh, in his book, Rough Ride to the Future, He's the scientist who... Uh, the Gaia guy. 
and pr predicted the ozone hole. I actually discovered the ozone hole taking a trip down to the South Atlantic with his, his gas measuring instruments, discovered there was a hole in the in, on the ozone that we had to do something about. Mm. So he did a calculation that predicted that within 100 to 200 million years, we're crossing over this point where we go from 1.35 watts per square meter of, of incident solar radiation to 1.5. And when we go across that, we the atmosphere can have no CO2 in it, or we go to runaway greenhouse. So we're crossing over that boundary where green, um, Venus crossed billions of years ago, probably, and the oceans evaporated into the atmosphere because any CO2 would lead to a runaway condition. So whether it's 100 million years or two, 300 million years, it's short. It's a percentile or two of the history of life on Earth is remains for plants, uh, for complex organisms. So we're the last. We're we're the last complex organisms. There's not any room, if this prediction is true, for a future uh, for complex life here. So the pressure, when an organism is under threat for its 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 survival, collectively it starts to get better and better and better at the survival game. And so I think that that is what's happening. It's hard for me or any one person to see this whole picture, but I can feel the pressure from the collective field of the bolus of all of life pushing forward, trying to find solutions because we have to reproduce the biosphere in some way. We have to go forward. We have to carry complex life into the universe or or it's just going to auto extinguish, you know, or there's, there's a limited dwell time and like a good Hollywood thriller, you know, it's a car chase at the end. You know. <laughs> of course it's going to happen at the last minute, but all of this is piled up and piled up. And I think that everything that comes our way, whether it be crazy, insane leadership is a teaching for us, pandemics, you know, uh, the great slowing down cell phones, and especially plant medicines. You know, plant medicines are a doorway into a world which is beyond, it is the numinous field. And it, it's it's a thousand million million variations on the numinous field. It, but just like uh, when you have a huge opening on meditation, when you have, uh, when your your little parts fall away and you open to the big. I think that the plant medicines are pulling us faster and faster towards seeing this overview, seeing this hugeness of what this thing is. And the thing is us. The thing is the thing. It's not, it's not a creature coming from planet Zebel Ganubi. It is the collective of all of life internetworked faster and faster against the pressure of faster and faster evolutionary forces that are now cultural and pushing towards survival. I think it's, it's all about finding that doorway, finding that way to survive and thrive in for the next billion years in some way, because probabilistically we're on a spire that's 4 billion years tall. We're way up here. This is where life started 4 billion years ago in some kind of hot spring setting. And it was jacked up by the rising of the sun every day to push energy into the system, to allow metabolism to happen, then selection to happen, then 
multicellularity to happen. And that sun just keeps rising and pushing us away from equilibrium to where we're in a point where we're in a potential gradient 4 billion years tall. And that potential gradient, as, as a ball rolling down a ramp is potential, as, as electrons piling up in a battery is a potential gradient, this is a probabilistic potential gradient, and it's powerful. And we can use that. And I think that it's not going to just go away. It has a mind of its own, in the sense, or a body of its own. And if we contact that mind, if we become that body, we'll find that way through. We are the vector. We are the seer. We, we are the ones with the hands. We're the ones that can push through that wormhole and allow the miracle of, of the life on this earth, the improbability of it, to, to go forward. And that is our responsibility. And, and it's happening. I mean, it just, everything seems to be lining up for this to happen. But like any birth, it's going to be full of blood, sweat, and tears, you know, mm. and yeah. pain and confusion and crying and screaming and uncertainty whether the birth can happen. But it's from the long view of four billion years, I don't think this is going away. I think it is going to find a way to survive and to, to thrive. It's going to make a new world. Uh, excuse me. Um, reminds me of the kind of things that Terence used to talk about, your old friend Terence McKenna. Uh, um, he might have had the timeline a little bit wrong with this 2012 thing, but, um, but he talked, uh, as you were saying that, I was thinking about that he might have been intuiting uh, what you're talking about when he used the term the transcendental excuse me, object at the end of time. Um, and, and you're implying that it's us in a sense, right? Um, so I, I could have a whole pile of questions about all that stuff, but um, I don't want to get in the way uh, too much of what you have to share. Uh, but uh, there, there was one thing that I uh, wanted to uh, go into ask you to go into a little bit more on the on the more the short term okay so f let me ask you this first um, I, I do you see this happening like you you say it's speeding up a lot right and Terence talked a lot about that too in his you know time wave theories and all these things um, do you see um, a, a ma the likelihood of massive consciousness change happening soon like within decades for example I, you know, I see it all around me. You know, mm -hmm. it's just, it's rolling everywhere. Because consciousness, we can define in toto as the awake awareness of the individual to those things which drive us on a daily basis. So, for example, five, ten years ago, you never would have heard uh, most people in business, uh, nerds, ordinary people out there talking about trauma and the role of trauma and what drives us. And now you hear it all the time. You hear, wow, I'm feeling a part of me that is starting to get activated. So 10 years ago, people would have think, you're being critical of me and I, you know, I feel like you don't understand me, etc., etc. But now, and this is, all over the world that I've been, people are getting the language that stuff that comes up for them that is triggering for them isn't necessarily them. The language of parts, the language of, it's called internal family systems, uh, all these practices like, yeah, hey, I'm, a, I'm an internal society of beings. And, and of course, people can misinterpret all that and kind of 
go off the wall on that, but there's a real wisdom that is that is happening in the change of language that, yeah, part of me has got hurt by what you said, but it's just this part, and let's, you know, I'll explain where that came from. <laughs> there was a friend of ours who used to just get triggered all the time, and she'd just start screaming. She'd just get triggered and start screaming. And it just used to bother us. It was hard to go over to their house and everything. And then one moment, we were all over at the house, and I think we were watching one of the Mars landings, and she said, I need to explain to you why I can do that and start screaming at people. Because that's what it was like in our family. Everything in our family was done by people getting uh, upset and screaming to get their needs. And I can't control it to myself. It just takes me over. And we just came to her and we said, now, thank you for explaining this. It isn't you that's screaming. It's a little part that w didn't get its needs met. And, and to survive, it had to scream during the family. We came around her and gave her a huge hug. That relaxed her whole system. And now, for the last 10 years when we go to see her, it's like, how's, how's a little part? And if the part comes up and she's stressed in the kitchen and she starts to scream, it's not her that's screaming. It's not her that... We separated our understanding of, of her from her part, and so there's a softening and a wisdom that is coming into the into this. And she's just, a, she's like, she says, "Look, I'm just a regular housewife. She's a Christian woman. She's not on the medicine path, but she's come to the self-awareness because the culture is bringing it. You are an operating system. You are complex parts, and you can feel yourself moving in and out of them, and it's a way of." of knowing thyself and of course in Buddhism and in meditation of course the whole point is to separate and watch the system dissociate or separate and watch the system and all the parts roll through and name them Jack Kornfield talks about naming these things that come and roll through a system others talk about love those parts love love those things and in the plant medicine path you know uh, you just become a complete open book and then the medicine is coming in and the parts are coming in they're embodied as beings they're they're little kids or they're jaguars or they're they're embodied and they they come out for resource and the medicine gives them the resource and we as loving beings that say reparenting ourselves watch how that happens and when we're skillful we'll go into the part and become the rage but then pull out and let the rage be the rage and let the medicine have the rage and 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 calm the rage and resource that rage and we come out healed and so this is the fundamental work of the 21st century so when we look at someone like Donald Trump we see a deeply wounded human being that whose father abused him and all these sorts of things and you know 20 years ago uh, I don't think there would have been language to describe why Donald Trump behaves it would just be like well they're just that way or we have to suffer through it. You can now take apart somebody like Donald Trump. You can have empathy and compassion for him. And you can also be discerning and wise about why people like that should never be in positions of, of authority because oh, yeah. you can predict what they're going to do because the mm -hmm. stresses of the job or ego or whatever is going to, is very predictable models have emerged. So it's, in, yeah, it's so in, interesting that uh, just today, this is July 
what are we, July 15th today? Um, uh, anyway, 2020, uh, his niece's book has just been approved for publication. And that's exactly what she's been saying about him, that he was deeply wounded as a child. I mean, this was obvious to many of us already anyway, but now, as you say, it's creeping out into the culture. So basically, I think what, if I may sort of summarize what you've been saying for the last five minutes or so, is that you see us, uh, well, two, maybe two streams to it. One is uh, um, the larger view that we are cohering together as a species and that changes uh, in the way that we think or, you know, the way that our minds function in this world are um, dispersing through the species quite rapidly and quite widely. And then if I understood you correctly, you're also uh, specifying it a little bit more by saying that uh, a lot of what that is, is about self-examination and uh, in a sense, taking back our projections, as the Buddhists might say, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's wisdom at all levels. I mean, and it's it's coming so quickly uh, through the culture. I mean, <clears throat> let's let's face it. When you and I were growing up, you know, we had three or four, or maybe cable TV, we had a few channels, and there were a few interesting shows and some dumb and junky shows, and we took some books out and everything. Now, I mean. You can watch 50 meaningful YouTube videos in a day in little snippets and get information so fast. I mean, if oh, yeah. like we need to find out about uh, internal family systems healing or parts work or whatever, boom, there on there's the actual founder of this, the system demonstrating it. There's an animation that get, brings it so quickly. And the mind's like, wow, that's what that is. Let me share that with so-and-so because they were looking for why it is they get triggered all the time and they they get the video and like wow I, I'm th that's a part and I, I can work on that and then they find a practitioner and they start working on zoom and you know within like an hour a person has identified something in themselves gotten new information and is now on a practice to work on themselves and that's how fast this is compared to the 80s or 70s where it's mm -hmm. like you know, grind along for years before we find solutions to things. That morphic resonance on speed. Yeah. 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 <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah you know, Rupert Sheldrake, right? And he talked about, you know, how a, like a scientist in, say, the U.S., might have the same idea at the same time, more or less, as a, as a scientist working on the same problem in, in Japan or whatever, right? It seems like a kind of an extension of that through technology now as well. And uh, Rupert and I met uh, last summer at the IONS conference in uh, over here in Silicon Valley. And we had an interesting conversation because what he said, this is, this is quite fascinating, uh, how the connection was. Mm -hmm. We never met, and we were at the reception for IONS. And someone, you know, he had seen me do, I did the opening keynote for the IONS conference. And Rupert wanted to meet me, and we'd never met. And I, of course, I knew Ralph Abraham and Terrence, but I'd never met the third member of the trialogues. And I saw him across the room, and I just didn't know how to go and introduce myself. But a friend brought him over. So suddenly there he was on, at my elbow. And we had the most delightful connection. And it was very much a morphic resonance connection because Rupert s said something, and I said, you know, I, I know of your work because I've heard your voice a million times because Lorenzo Haggerty and I 
decided to digitize all of the trialogues tapes and put them into the psychedelic salon. And that's how I got to know who you were and in that Lorenzo flew up and we started three boom boxes and put the cassette tapes in and over a weekend digitized 90 uh, cassettes. And Rupert beamed and he said, I always wondered who put those things online because those trialogues more than any other thing on the internet or any of my books, they built the morphic field for me. Those record those voice recordings built my audience. They established me in the field and brought all these new people and opportunities. And he said, you know, I know who to thank for that. It's Lorenzo Haggerty and you <laughs> digitizing those little crusty uh, audio cassette tapes. And then right. it went from there and we found a resonance between us, which was that if we have the formulation and the science and the chemistry to form protocells and to form aggregates of protocells uh, that have function through polymers, we're doing this wet dry cycling in the hot spring environments, we can actually test his morphogenetic field ideas. He came up with this. He said we could have a, a dish of them where a big clump is next to another dish and then we have an isolated dish of these cycling systems. And if the ones that there are, there are more members and they're more close uh, evolve faster, then we've shown that there's a non-physical morphic field effect between those two adjacent dishes, whereas the isolated dish is like chugging along at a slower rate. And we could then actually study, well, what would the effect be of all this complex activity nearby in two fields? It would be the birth of the the morphic field. It would be a way to test it in the laboratory. So we just got back in touch uh, last month, and I'm going to send him a kind of a neat proposal for this because I'm getting ready to do a new book on all this stuff for uh, maybe an academic book and a popular book at the same time. But so there we are now connected through the trialogues accelerating into something that he can then take into his work and his son you know has come up with this fantastic new book i just uh, bought it about a week ago i've just started it it's yeah, called an, an entangled life yeah so could I, I excuse me for uh, you know breaking into your train of thought uh, but um you know we're getting a little bit close to that hour that i spoke about and obviously you know we could go on much much longer um but um you know merlin uh, rupert's son's book reminded me of this that uh one thing you haven't mentioned in this conversation uh and is a theme that's being uh put forth um uh, as an important part of the consciousness transformation is our learning to um, uh, uh, understand uh, our proper relationship with nature um, and the, um, the the communication of nature. You know, like to begin to realize more about uh, that. You know, plants often communicate not just the ones that we call the psychedelic plants but uh, like Stephen Herod Buner's work for example where he talks about how um, he sat down and meditated for hours at a time with various plants and then they started to you know feed him information about what they do you know so I'm wondering how how you know it, this is um, 
you know, we're talking about, you know, the human sphere mostly tonight uh, uh, and, and where we're going with that. And I find it absolutely fascinating and central, you know, for hum humanity. Where does, where does the um, embeddedness and, and communication factor with nature come into all this? Yeah, I think that um, what happens, like, for instance, now we've had a beautiful spring and it's the summer. When we simply walk outside, you know, anywhere from a building, which is more of a human space, and we're hit by sunlight on our skin and the fragrances in, in the breeze, all those spores and pollens and pheromones, the sounds of birds, the sounds of wind in the trees, were taken from the encased, you know, human world, which is a lot of it's very mental, to our, our, our animal wakes up. Our natural being wakes up as soon as we walk into any natural setting. And, and physiologically, I mean, you could measure this, and perhaps people have, that, boom, we're connected at a different level than we were when we got out of the car, for example. And you can, everyone can feel this, this happening. And so it's the turning on of a huge amount of deep architecture, deep substructure that was installed a long time ago, that no matter how humans have been raised and what environments they've been raised, it's baked in. And so part of that, of course, is plants that we put in our bodies and the food that we put in our bodies and the medicines that we take but the very presence in nature, you know, it's like the difference between uh, doing an ayah ceremony in an apartment in Brooklyn, which can be powerful, but doing it in the rainforest in the Amazon, where it, it's just an extraordinarily dense information grid. So much happens in that environment compared to the relatively dead environment of an apartment in Brooklyn, where you might be doing more internal work. So I think that the the plants speak to us in you know ways that, that Dennis McKenna describes so beautifully. But we are the plants and the plants are us. I mean, we are part of the cycle of the plants. We're in communication continuously, whether we can mentally work it out or not. We really are. And that's part of this idea of this field, this that the field does extend beyond uh, human mental construct. It is mm -hmm. of, of the body. It's of the gut. It's the gut biome. So when we take a shit and put, uh, run a huge amount of our gut biome into the environment, which is then returning into us. And people who spend a lot of time, you know, a month or so in, in nature, they're totally changed by that mentally and physically. They not even doing a plant medicine, just being the presence of the environment we were in, in which we were in, evolved, so it's it's really an A-B comparison, and perhaps you can sit in the room in Brooklyn and take the plant medicine, and it's so powerful that it will transport you to that jungle ethereally. It mm. brings the plant and the jungle and all of that complexity and that feel into you, even though you're in an apartment in Brooklyn. So it is all connected. We, we live in a progenote planet, which was this new conception that life started as a communal complex, not an individual in competition, but as a community in collaboration. This is what's the huge philosophical implications of the, our work, is there was no common ancestor. 
It was only a common community, a communal complex of protocells that collectively could start to grow and evolve until individuals arose that could divide themselves and until microbial mat communities arose till there was an individual uh, mycelial thread that could grow through it or a plant that could come out of it or then a worm that could start eating it and then you got individual plants animals fungi or fungal mats were always connected but and then here we are a, a global massive community interdependent sharing community of, of humans with culture and we're birthing another thing out of that and I think that that thing is this collective conscious field that Jung you know many have talked about and so so this this stacking and plants of course are part of that stacked layer and they're all dependent upon that bottom layer of microbial mat which is a, what's known as the consortium model and then that came from the substrate of the cycling of the progenote and so having that point of view of where we sit and where all of evolution sits in that stacked four billion year point of view gives us almost a samadhi kind of experience of opening of my god that's what this is and and then you lose the boundaries of the individual self through science in a sense not not on a pillow but just being awestruck by what is all around us and how it came to be so improbably over this four billion years and so in a sense it's my science samadhi uh, awakening uh, through super geeking out on <laughs> on how things that we're finally seeing how things arise uh, it's it's an amazing time and and, and one thing to sort of close with, if we're closing, you know, it was during the Thirty Years' War in Europe. There were all kinds of terrible things happening in Europe when the calculus was discovered. There were terrible things happening when Copernicus predicted that uh, the Earth was not the center of all and there were other worlds, you know, the Copernican Revolution. There were terrible things happening when electromagnetism was was characterized. All these things that when we look back to the 1860s or the 1720s or we don't even remember all of the misdeeds of our forebears. We remember the beauty of the scientific discoveries of the structure of the cosmos or the great music or the arts. We remember that and that is what survives. So to have faith, to have confidence and optimism there is plenty going on right now in the 2020s that is extraordinary plenty is going on that's extraordinary if we take our eyes just away a little bit from the crazy news sphere and the echo chambers and the anxiety inducing things and we plant our gaze and our hearts on the stupendously brilliant things that are that human beings are doing the wise things, the insightful things that humans have never done before, the frontiers that we're in, that is what's going to count in 2050 or 2100. That's what's going to count. And the response to the pandemic is part of that brilliance. There are brilliant people who are looking at this. How can we use location information on our phones to, to block the, the spread of viruses in the future because we can outsmart the viruses. 
we have technology. This is a game. This is a, a war game, and it's making us better. It's making us smarter. And the smart people in the smart countries are going to succeed, and they're going to come out with societies that are are, are smarter and healthier. Um, so, it's a tremendous. There's a tremendous time. All hope is not lost. In fact, there's more reasons for hope now than the crazy accelerated 2019 when we were so busy we couldn't even we couldn't even contact our own selves so the message is um slow down pay attention have faith something like that right have some tentative hope and faith that the, 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 in the great innovative uh, imagina imaginatory possibilities of the human species. And, and I, I'd like to think of it also as the fact that, you know, if you think of it in, in terms of uh, Buddhism, the word Buddha just is, translates as awake, and that Buddhists, you know, keep reminding us that that is our nature. And one would like to think that we gradually fall into recognizing the divine, eternal nature of everything at some point. <laughs> Yeah, and it, it, in modern healing arts and in psychology, it comes down to the parts that make us up. And it, I call it the little inner kindergarten. And I know, these days I know, holy shoot, you know, Catherine's just said something that threw me into a part and I'm now pouty and quiet. But that's not the response that Catherine could use or that the relationship could use. So I, I talked to the part. So instead of sulking and closing down I like hey part I'll report that to her <laughs> so she knows that a part got triggered and she says she can see the part getting triggered I'll say I'm gonna go and sit with this part and give it some resource and I come back and I'm an adult again and the relationship moves forward in evolution because we didn't get stuck in the habitual patterns that relationship can get stuck in all relationship we acknowledge and owned the little parts of us that maybe are wounded or didn't get resourced or seen we resourced them we reported them we up leveled and then the relationship up leveled and i think that that is a a uh, a practice for all of humanity dealing with politicians dealing with technology dealing with everything it's all about checking in with those and owning those internal inner parts and then reporting and connecting and taking responsibility like our friend who used to be screaming all the time. And she up-leveled and maintained her family and her friendships, and eventually the screaming part got uh, quieter and she could lead a better life. And it, it really, for the 21st century, comes down to our individual work on those parts, reaching out for group, for help, the medicines, everything, because if we get peaceful inside, we have peace in the world and we have a beautiful world by being peaceful and beautiful in our own systems. Yeah, I think there's a Zen saying that says, uh, when you sit, like in meditation, when you sit, the whole world sits with you. Yeah, another, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, uh, 
I think this probably is, you know, just a a, a kind time to re uh, to uh, you know bring it to a close, just in terms of uh, people who are uh, going to be watching this and listening to this, uh, um, having their brains stretched. Uh, uh, what was it? Tom Robbins said in uh, in the uh, endorsement to uh, the archaic revival. You know that you, you, you're never going to be going back to Kansas. You know after <laughs> reading that book, <laughs> it's kind of similar with these very far, far thinking, far envisioned ideas. So uh, I want to thank you very much for that. But before I let you go, um, uh, would you like to, as I mentioned uh, before we hit the record button, I can put little titles and things under this when I run it through Final Cut Pro um, before publishing it on uh, the Stephen Gray Vision YouTube channel. Um, and so are there any uh, sites or links? I mentioned damer.com. We can mention that one again, and I'll put that up again. But is there anything else you would like to uh, point people toward? Yeah, we're um, we're holding regular uh, salons uh, called the Levity Salon. Uh, I call everything Levity, in that uh, Terence used to uh, talk about novelty. Uh, the listeners probably remember this. And one night I said to Terence, "Terence, we have enough novelty. We need more levity." <laughs> we all laughed at that. And Sasha Shulgin. For me, looking into this man's blue eyes uh, toward the end of his life, as you you have done undoubtedly at the Shulgin Ranch there, uh, I saw the greatest levity in those eyes, even though they were not seeing the world, but there was levity in them. And so we seek to carry forward the, the traditions of these two great storytellers, inventors, alchemists, uh, in our levity salons and this kind of thing, usually 30 to 50 people show up. And in the Patreon, if you go to patreon.com slash Bruce Damer, uh, you can join and not only get notification of these salons, but all kinds of stuff. So I'm going to be writing two books. One is for the scientific community. One is for every everyone else, <laughs> a, a human readable book. Um, on all this stuff and I've got a looks like I have a publisher for the science book and on the back of all that it'll certainly the popular book and it may be illustrated it may be a graphic novel because uh, I've got a wonderful friend who's connected with the comic industry and they started transcribing some of uh, the Levity Zone podcasts to try to create a graphic novel out of it all and so with the Patreon if you can support five dollars or twenty five dollars a month that'll help these projects get done and you'll get all the early looks at the fantastic uh, treatments of all this and videos and everything else so the patreon community is now i, I think it's almost almost a hundred people and it's growing and it's helping me to have some independence and some time to create these products for everyone Wonderful. Um, I'll make sure, as I said, that I put that up uh, as a title and uh, um, as a as a closing from my end. I'd like to say thanks very much again. I really do appreciate you a lot in what you're doing, Bruce, and I think you um, uh, might be too humble to acknowledge it on some level. But um, you know, you just referred to great minds like Alexander Shulgin and uh, Terence McKenna and the lineage of people that kind of uh, keep us moving toward an upward curve, as it were. And I I believe that. You are 
you know, a, a strong member of that lineage. And uh, thank you for the work that you have been doing, are doing, and almost, well, I would say certainly are going to be doing for hopefully another 20 or 30 years or more. <laughs> so I'll thank you. And um, what was I going to say? Uh, yes, can you uh, uh, stick around for a minute after we officially stop the recording and we'll just do a little yeah, sort certainly. of, you know, more casual uh, ending that way. And, yeah. and I look forward to returning to Vancouver and Spirit Plant Medicine uh, sometime soon and bringing Catherine and, and seeing my relatives, all my, my hometown relatives. Mm. Unfortunately, there it looks like it's still a ways off before they open that border mm. um, uh, for this year. But uh, I'm hoping that you will uh, give a, an online address. We're going to the the Spirit Plant Medicine Conference was supposed this was supposed to be our our big woohoo uh, tenth anniversary, uh, um, and we're not going to call it that. Um, we're going to call it our first online Spirit Plant Medicine Conference instead. But we're going to have two or three days at the same time we were going to uh, October 23rd, 4th, and 5th, or possibly just the 24th and 25th as a weekend. But one way or the other, um, uh, you and I have spoken, um, and I think in general you've agreed to uh, uh, con contribute to that. So that'll be one wonderful too yeah yep absolutely happy to do that okay let's end it here thanks very much